Can you hear me now? Look at yes. that gotcha. background. Jesus, look at those wow. books. Wow. God damn. Wow. <laughs> stunting on you. Stunting on you. Remember that scene? Actually, we like go ahead and roll right now, Jackson. You rolling? Yeah, we're rolling. Remember that scene in Good Will Hunting where Will Hunting goes in there and he's looking at all the books that that Robin Williams carried? He's like, have you read all of these books? You have to read all of those books. And I just want everybody that's watching on YouTube to look behind <laughs> Dr. Kendi right there at all of the books that he's got up there. And I bet you, Dr. Ibram Kendi, that you have read every single one of those books behind you. Have you not? This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Um, I have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> don't be, you say it with your whole chest, Dr. Yes. Kennedy. Don't, yes. don't you dare uh, be ashamed. <laughs> uh, listen, if you happen to be listening to this podcast right now and you are a racist, Listen up, because you might just learn from Dr. Ibram Kendi, who joins us today on Higher Learning, how to be an anti-racist, because he wrote that fantastic book and has, actually, would you say you've dedicated your life to educating people into how they can help to destroy racism here in America? Would you say that that's a fair assessment of, of, of of who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, I would say... Certainly educating people and then even putting in place policies that can create more equitable and just sort of society. Mm. So let me ask you a question then. I am from South Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I haven't seen much racism with the little R. I've seen the capital (laughs) R racism. I've seen the racisms that make people go, damn, for real? Just to my face? So my question is, your book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, obviously very, very successful New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Ibram Kendi joins us today. Uh, Is it even possible with all of the entrenched white supremacy, the entrenched systemic racism, the entrenched white privilege that America seems to have been founded on and seems to thrive off of, is it even possible to have anti-racists in this society who are white? And to have a society that is anti-racist. Is it possible for white people to be anti-racist with everything they're up against? Well, I, I think it is 
possible. And, um, and, and I, I also think we should believe it's possible. There was a time in this country's history where people thought it was impossible to eliminate slavery. They, they thought it was impossible that white folks could be abolitionists calling for immediate emancipation as William Lloyd Garrison and, and others eventually did. But, but I think eventually even white folks began to realize how slavery was holding back white folks, <laughs> you know, in the way the collateral damage of, of even racist policies, whether it's voter suppression or even police violence are, are killing and suppressing uh, white folks too. And, and so I think there's a growing awareness among white folks that, hey, you know what? Climate change is disproportionately bad for the global South, where people of color primarily live, but it's also bad for us white folks too. <laughs> and um, and and I think so. There there are some white folks who are striving to be anti-racist from a genuine sort of place, and then there are others who hopefully realize it's in their self-interest because that's where this nation is headed, and it's certainly not going to be the case that a majority of folks who a majority of folks of color are going to be willing to face and, and, and sort of have to endure the knee of white supremacy for too much longer. Dr. Kenny, I don't know if you can tell, but Van and I aren't the most optimistic people. I don't know if you've <laughs> gathered that. You're not, Van. You are not. I don't know if you've gathered that from the short time that you've been no, speaking with us. I haven't gathered us. that at all. <laughs> but I, you, you do seem to be that person. And during the Black Lives Matter protest and and what we saw a lot this summer, we saw a mass of white people who were suddenly getting invested in being anti-racist. And how can I be an ally? I'm listening and I'm learning. I'm 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 here. I'm supporting. I'm silencing myself to amplify your bo- uh, voice. They were buying your books and among other books, they were taking to the streets. But since then, we've really seen that trend slow down. And I've used the word trend because I'm, I'm want, the question for you is, do you think being an anti-racist is a trend? Because it has seemed to slow down. Um, and the same momentum that we had this summer, I'm not, I'm not seeing it in 2021. Well, I think, I think those Americans who last summer were presenting themselves as, as, as anti-racist and who are now thinking that the problem were those demonstrators who wanted to do crazy things like defund the police, they were just performing. Um, and, 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 and they were able to be susceptible because they weren't serious to the counter sort of attack on the demonstrators and the demonstrations that ultimately stated that the problem isn't police violence. The problem isn't racism. The problem are these demonstrators themselves who are violent, who are destroying this country, who are anarchists. Uh, and, and, and so many white folks bought that lie such that, you know, I think at the height of the protests in June, there, I think were one, one poll found that 76% of Americans including a majority of white Americans, were recognizing that racism was a big problem. By the end of the summer, that percentage had declined double digits. 
And, and it just goes to show that many of those folks were just talking. <laughs> um, and, and again, you know, reverted back to this normality that the problem isn't racism, that the problem is Black people and the people who are fighting for Black people. Hmm. So I recently did a podcast. Uh, I, was, I did a podcast called The Fifth Column. And I went back and forth with a gentleman named Kamel Foster. Are you familiar with this gentleman? I've heard of, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Kamel Foster, d- d- during, that in- during that interview, him and I went back and forth. He, he, he speaks from the worldview. He doesn't identify as black. Uh, he doesn't think that race has any problems in the, uh, excuse me, race doesn't have any place in the discussion of American systemic dysfunction. Just doesn't think it. And me and him, volleyed that back and forth from opposite sides. For someone that has that worldview, you even actually brought your name up on the podcast. It was was kind of like a coincidence. Uh, For someone that has that worldview, how would you make the case? Because I tried, and, you know, it was collegial, and I think a lot of people got a lot of it. But I'm hearing that more often. I'm hearing that bringing up race in the workplace actually leads to poor outcomes amongst the morale of, of, of people that work together. Like, all of the diversity training and things like that. You you hear those things lobbed against the idea that we should even really be talking about this stuff as much as we do. Now, obviously, the, the people on this call know how important it is to, to talk about it. But how would you make the case to someone who might be more on Kamel's side of things or somebody who's white and in their workplace and just don't want to have to sit through something where they have to learn how to talk to their black coworkers? What would you say to them? Why is it important? Well, I mean, those who argue that diversity training or attempts to make our workplaces more anti-racist are actually harming the workplaces themselves are are, are simply, you know, I I mentioned just talking, you know, those folks are just talking. There's no evidence that supports it. And indeed, all the evidence points to more diverse and inclusive uh, and equitable workplaces are more productive, more efficient, uh, more profitable. You know, every sort of measure uh, a company or an organization typically measures its success by, uh, those that are that 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 are able to build diverse and inclusive sort of teams and build anti-racist cultures are actually much more effective. Now, of course, there are people right now who do not believe that. It's just inconceivable <laughs> that <laughs> somehow you bring in folks of color and you'll be better. <laughs> that, that just goes against the racist ideas that have been taught to them, including Black folks. Uh, and, and so I, I think that that's, that's but the way, what I would say to those folks, it, it's typically when folks make that case, they, they come from two vantage points. Either they say it's not about race, it's about class, uh, or they say it's not about race because, you know, race doesn't exist scientifically. Or I should add a third position. They say, well, you know, it's not about race and racism because it doesn't exist. And so depending on what they're arguing, if they're arguing that. So you're saying racism doesn't exist and they're like, yes. So then I ask, OK, why is it that black folks uh, are twice as likely to be unemployed as white as, 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 as white folks? And then they typically give a racist reason <laughs> to argue that racism doesn't exist by saying, well, black folks are lazy, 
They don't want to work. They prefer welfare over work. So in that case, they're using racism to argue racism doesn't exist. Or when they say, well, we just shouldn't talk about race and identify by race because, you know, we, we're, we don't exist scientifically. Then I would add, so, so if we don't identify by race, how are we going to collect racial data? And, and if we don't collect racial data, how are we going to see racial disparity? And if we don't see racial disparity, how are we going to see the practices and policies that are racist that are behind those disparities? And so effectively, you want a world where you have all these racial disparities, but no one can see them, let alone eliminate them. And that's actually the final solution to racism is, itself. Uh, and then thirdly, when they argue about class, I ask them, well, how do you explain that the children of black millionaires are more likely to be incarcerated than the children of high school dropouts that are white. Then how do you, if it's about class, how do you Wait, explain? Wait, what? Is that a real stat? Yes. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you explain that? Doctor, doctor, could you restate that really quickly? Just, 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 I am so sorry to interrupt you, brother. No. I am so sorry. Could you restate that before I fucking lose my mind? Could you restate that really quickly for people? Sure. So the children, Black male children of uh, millionaire Black families uh, are more likely, particularly with the millennial generation, uh, to be incarcerated than than the white white male children of working class uh, white families. And in a, in a recent study that actually was published, I think, two years ago in the New York Times sort of tracked um, that and, and, and made that case and showed that data to support it. And I, I just was going to add another thing about class. You know, why is it that Black women with college degrees are more likely to die in pregnancy than, than white women who haven't even graduated from high school? Why is it that white people, white families who have not even graduated from high school have on average more wealth than black college dropouts? Again, if it's not about class. Mm. Mm. You know, Dr. Kendi, people are very hopeful with the new administration coming in. Question I have is, how can the new administration be anti-racist? What are some steps or some tax tactics that they can implement to, to be that? So I think the, the new administration needs to track racial data and, 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 and make the determination that if, if Black folks right now or Latinx folks are less likely to be vaccinated, then it's because there's something wrong <laughs> and it's not black and Latinx folks. If there's something wrong with the way cities and states and even the federal government is, is rolling out vaccines. And, 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 but also it, something as simple as I'm mentioning sort of COVID-19, you know, one of the things that Biden administration has said consistently is unlike the Trump administration, we're going to put science before politics. All I'm asking is for them to put science before politics when it comes to race and racism. For them to not think about what's going to alienate white swing voters or, or white moderates or, or, or even uh, white conservatives. For them to think about, okay, what can eliminate the problem of police violence? 
and institute and push those policies. Uh, but I think too often, even Democrats have been more worried about politics than science and what's been proven to work, which is why even Democrats have failed to bring relief to, to Black people. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. You could be doing anything this week, right? You've got work, errands, friends, and a whole lot of fun in between. That's why the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life. With premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Hmm. Uh, what is that? What are the answers to those questions? Uh, and I think that's something that the, uh, our, within our community we have to kind of kind of grapple with, which is what is it that we're what is it that we're asking for? What do we ask for? So if you're asking the question about, uh, you know, how to bridge this gap, if you're talking about, you know, specifics to politicians, if I were going to give you a magic wand and let you implement policy that you feel that you feel like would shrink the gap, that uh, would affect communities, I was about to say communities of color. I particularly mean black communities in this particular case. And I'm going to say that because that's okay to say, people. It's okay to say black communities. Shout out to my Latinx and my indigenous brothers and sisters. I'm just saying we're talking about black people. Um, so if you could wave that magic wand and affect communities, uh, what would it look like? What would the solution to this decades-old, hundreds-of-year-old a problem of American racism look like? What would the solutions look like to you? Sure. So, I mean, let's let's talk about politics and economics, which are both critically important to Black folks and other folks. When it comes to politics, we should, first and foremost, why can't we have a, a system in which people are guaranteed the right to vote. In other words, it's not a privilege as it currently is that can be taken away. It's a right that can't be taken away. Once you turn a certain age, it was up to me, 16, but the way it is now, 18, you're automatically able to vote. You're automatically registered. Nobody, you don't have to re-register when you move to a different city or a different state. There's a federal sort of, uh, 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 sort of form of registration uh, we also would thereby vote always on federal holidays um, where everyone would have the ability to vote. In other words, if they need to take off from work, uh, they, they wouldn't have to, quote, take off from work because, uh, you know, work would give them that day off and it would be paid. Um, but then also, you know, we would be able to completely eliminate money from politics. In other words, all politicians would be publicly financed. What that means is right now you have this massive racial wealth gap. And so when white people have 10 times more wealth, they have expendable money that they can use on politicians to, to get what's best for, their, for them, you know, as wealthy white folks. And 
And but if if, if if politicians could not be bought and sold as they are now, if they actually cared more about votes than what gets them votes, which is money, then they would be more focused on doing what's best for for everyday people. And and so to 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 to, to learn black history is to learn the history of black votes being suppressed. And and so we have to eliminate that possibility, or even when it comes to economics. What what's fascinating is that I just have yet to hear a policy proposal that has the ability to, re- to reduce, let alone eliminate the racial wealth gap other than reparations. And I just don't know of any other plan that has that capability. And, and when you talk about uh, the racial wealth gap, ra- wealth is inherited, it's passed on. And, and so what happens is literally the racial wealth gap is probably the best approximation of the compounding effects of racism for 400 years in this country. And, and, and so we have to, as a nation, come to grips with that. Um, and, and I think reparations, you know, can do that. <laughs> you want to say hello? Oh, I knew it. I knew a baby was coming. Oh, Hi. my God. Hi, what sweetheart. a beautiful hey. Look at that. Did I just get baby fever? Yes, you did. We both did. I did. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> so cute. All right. Uh, this might be the answer to the, to the question I'm about to ask you. I was going to say, Dr. Kendi, you have to be exhausted for all the work that you do, for you know, constantly answering these type of questions for being the go-to, especially, you know, that people seem to be more active about being anti-racist. I'm wondering for you, when you feel defeated, because I'm sure there are days that you do, how do you overcome that? And I'm sure that there are other people who are listening to this podcast, Black people who feel the same way. What do you do to keep going and get past that? Oh, I, I think I try to, to find inspiration and energy sort of all around me. Um, you know, whether it's flicking on social media and, and seeing a, a a funny and you know video of a of a woman who who glued her hair down um, and just Jeez. thinking about yes. just the deep humanity <laughs> of that um, and and feeling for her, <laughs> right? And it just gets you. You know, you think you got problems <laughs> um, or, uh, you know, seeing the unbelievable courage um, that, that just everyday people exhibit, you know, in their life. I'm, I'm constantly fueled by, you know, by people, by humor, um, by, by courage. And, and I, you know, I, I try to allow that to continuously to, to continuously fuel me. All right. Last question for me. Because you 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 said the R word, reparations. Uh-oh. You said the R word, reparations. <laughs> reparations, word. which is both incredibly unpopular uh, in general American society. That all the polling has shown it's a very unpopular idea on both sides of the aisle. By the way, this is not a liberal or conservative uh, sort of sticking point here. They equally hate reparations. Okay. What does a reparations package look like to you? Since we know that reparations has the ability to sort of 
decrease that gap or close that gap more to the point um, in, in, in wealth, what does a package look like to you? So what, what it would look like to me is, is there are two ways in which the racial wealth gap exists. It's, it's certainly within individuals and it's within communities. And so we would essentially seek to repair and provide funding for Black folks and Black communities to build wealth. And it would specifically be geared to wealth building uh, activities that then would be geared to eliminating this racial wealth gap. Um, how that is done, you know, is, is I think, a, a different sort of question. But but for me, um, I'm not I'm less interested in sort of handing out checks to 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 people and more interested in in ensuring sort of wealth building uh, and wealth maintenance, you know, within the black community that then can allow black people, particularly from the standpoint of uh, of of wealth to, to 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 be equal with other groups of people. Now, look, there's something before we let you get out of here. There's something over your, I guess it's your right shoulder right there. Is that your right shoulder right there? <laughs> 400 Souls. You got a new book dropping, 400 Souls. Tell us a little bit about your, your, your brand new one. Yeah, so Keisha Blaine and I, co-editor, we assembled an incredible community of writers. We, we actually assembled 80 writers, each of whom tackled five years of, of African-American history, amounting to 400 years. And they each wrote these short pieces um, that sort of braid together into a narrative. And then we also assembled 10 poets. And so at the end of every 40-year section, there's a poem that really wraps up uh, and, and really reflects on those 40 years. And in many ways, this community of writers is almost like a choir. And of course, we needed those soloists, mm. <laughs> those, those poets. Um, but I, we we thought, what better way to commemorate this symbolic 400th birthday, you know, of of, of Black Americans than than to bring together a community to to write the history of a community. Mm. 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 Uh, one thing I want to say before you go, I saw that you have some new projects with Netflix coming up. What can you tell us about them, or oh, can you tell us money. anything? We yeah, get money. We got Netflix oh. money, man. Oh. Netflix can... and and more than one project, Doctor Kendi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's exciting. Um, my book, Stamped from the Beginning, uh, working with with um, with Netflix and partnering with with them, and, and of course Roger Ross Williams and Mara Brock Akil to to put wow. together a, a doc feature uh, based on Stamped from the Beginning, which was a narrative history of racist ideas, and then also a you know a doc short uh, based on Stamped. Uh, racism, anti-racism, the U, which is the YA version, and then uh, working with with Chris Nee, who's the creator of Doc McStuffins, to to sort of recreate uh, anti-racist baby, which is this sort of book, this children's book, is really built around these nine steps, um, and making each of these nine steps into animated shorts for for children. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited about those projects you know, with, with, with Netflix. And it's really about making this, this history, this information, you know, anti-racism more accessible to everyday people. Mm, amazing. 
Thank you. Oh, by the way, I'm not a fan of Doc McStuffins. Don't like it. Scares me. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, well, my, my niece was watching it one time and the bear came and the bear had like, Stop. I guess the, the bear and Dr. McStuffins, I think he had a torn rotator cuff. Cause like his arm was hanging out and the stuffing was coming out and the doc was getting them together. I'm like, I don't know about this. Like, I don't know. I feel too much for the bear. I don't want to watch. female doctor, stop. I, I, I like it, stop. but I don't want to watch Grey's Anatomy as a little kid. It's like, I feel for it's the bear. Stuffing, man. Yeah, it's what, it's okay. stuffing. All right. Shout out to Dr. Stuffins. Hope you're doing anything. I don't know where she went to medical school, by the way. All right. So, uh, Abram Kennedy, thank you for joining us today on Higher Learning. Continue to do the things that you are doing. Continue to educate. Uh, as long as you keep doing it, we'll keep supporting you, brother. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dan and Rachel. Y'all take care. You too. All right. Bye-bye.